Welcome to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. I hope you had a Christmas filled with merriment and delight. I know I did. I have a couple little kids at home, a nine-month-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old, and it was a really special Christmas. It was, of course, my son's first Christmas, then a little nine-month-old, and for the three-and-a-half-year-old, the really the first Christmas that he was into, like he really understood what was going on, and he got really excited about it for months and months leading up to it. So, very special one over here. Hope you got what you wanted. I got what I wanted. I've been on this diet, as I told you about a few episodes back. Lost 20 pounds doing this juice diet. And uh, a little reward from my wife was she shipped me in some pizzas from Chicago from Giordano's, which is the, in my opinion, at least the best uh, Chicago pizzeria. And I had one of those for Christmas dinner last night. It was really, really incredibly delicious. If you are a Hanukkah celebrator, I hope you've had a wonderful Hanukkah. Of course, this year Hanukkah coinciding with Christmas Eve and going in through New Year's. That's pretty cool as well. So hope you're enjoying the holidays. We have a great holiday episode for you today. We've got Mr. Rick Coffey from Club Essential, who's been a frequent contributor to the show. He's joining us to sort of close out the year and tell us a little bit about what's coming in 2017 in terms of marketing trends and things that you should be aware of, you and your club should be aware of. We also have another edition of Club Perspectives presented by the National Club Association, and Brad Steele will be on later in the show discussing the overtime exemption rule and what's changed recently about that rule, what you need to know for you and your club, and some very important information, and where Brad Steele sees it going and what's going to happen with this new Trump presidency here in 2017. So stay tuned for that one. Before we bring on Rick Coffee, I want to remind you of my holiday gift to you. And that was a free 15-minute consultation to work through any membership and marketing struggles that your club is having. If you're looking to get new members, if you're looking for younger members, or if you're just looking to fill up that membership waiting list, This is your chance to work through any struggles you're having, to bounce off any ideas that you might have and want to find out if they're valid. I talk to clubs all over the country, and I know what's working and what's not. This is your opportunity for 15 minutes of my time absolutely free. All you have to do is visit the website, privateclubagency.com slash meet, and you can schedule yourself right into my calendar for a free 15-minute consultation. There's absolutely no obligation. I'm just doing this to help you work through any problems that you have at your club. Once again, that is privateclubagency.com slash meet. Well, let's get right into that interview that was recorded just a couple weeks back with Rick Coffey. Well, we're joined once again by a regular contributor to Private Club Radio, Mr. Rick Coffey of Club Essential. Rick, how are you today, man? I am well, Gabe. Sorry, it's been a while since we've talked. Uh, we need to do an inbox again soon as well. Yeah, that's right. We sure do. I know the the fans are dying for it. I, I'm getting emails <laughs> and phone calls left and right. <laughs> I you know, I listen to the I listen to all your you know the different shows now from the boardroom with the concert and everything. I know you've been traveling a lot. How are you feeling? Yeah, well, I actually got a parasite when I was in Thailand, and I, I spent a night in the emergency room. 
and I, uh, I got a nice $4,500 medical bill back from, uh, the hospital, <laughs> which was my portion of the $12,000 for the five hours that I spent there. Um, <laughs> so other than that, that, that uh, I'm feeling, that does not feeling sound good. well. <laughs> yeah. How were yeah. the medical services in Thailand? Oh no, I wasn't in Thailand. That's when I came back to the United States. I was, I woke up in like oh. these cold, hot sweats and had a big temperature and I, I actually thought I had malaria and that's why I went to the emergency room. It was like a Saturday afternoon. And, um, I don't think I've ever been to the emergency room, uh, in my life. And, and, uh, it was an interesting experience to say the least, but uh, I'm feeling pretty good right now. (laughs) I'm feeling pretty good right now. Well, what I want to talk to you about today, Rick, is this is the new year wrap up show kind of see what happened in 2016 and where things are going in 2017. I thought you'd be the right person to speak about that. So let's first talk about 2016. What was new and exciting for you, Rick? I think uh, 2016 was just about uh, clubs coming to a realization that uh, there are better, better options out there. I think this, the stereotype, and I think it's a well-deserved stereotype about uh, working at a country club is that, you know, it's way behind what normal businesses or normal corporations would be as far as embracing technology and training and such. I think a company club essential and, and working with the CRM, what I saw is companies are trying now organically to, to say, okay, we can't do the old, the old fashioned standards with our members and with our prospects any longer. There's got to be a better way out there. And they're really searching out for that. And, and thankfully with, with Club Essential, we're one of the main outlets for that technology. But it's just been nice. You know, ever since 2007, when I started uh, in the industry, I've always tried to be on the forefront of things. But a lot of the management around me and, and such weren't ready to go there. In 2016 was the first year that I seen that happen organically. And that that really excites me. So let's get into specifics then about some of these things that clubs are missing out in terms of technology. What would be your maybe top two or three things that clubs should be doing? Yeah, one of the biggest things that I heard when I was a sales and marketing director in the club was, you know, just members felt like they were getting onslaughted with emails, maybe too many or the, the content wasn't relevant to them. I think the biggest thing for me was the the fact that now clubs are starting to try to say, okay, let's let's come up with a game plan about our, our communications. Let's not just throw out an email every time that we think that we need to to be with someone. And so they're they're creating sales and marketing and communication plans to say, okay, maybe on Mondays the a golf shop email will come out and then Wednesday it might be something about the weekend events. There's more of a communications plan in place. And then on the CRM side, we help with, with creating member preferences, which then allows for a member to say, okay, these are the things I'm interested in in the club, so please send me only communications on this. And the CRM helps cl- collect that data, and that's allowed clubs to much have a much higher read rate on their emails uh, when they're sending it out because the person has said, I want to hear about this. And so the the members now noticing that the club is taking the time to learn that information and then turn that into more targeted communications. So in terms of email, Rick, what is what have you found is like the optimal amount of emails to send to a member? Like right now I'm getting, I think, maybe up to four or five per week for my club. And that for me is way too much. And okay. I've just started to sort of tune out. So what for you is the optimal number that you've seen? 
Yeah, I agree there. I think once you get past three, that's about it. If the club does not have a track record with the members of that they've shown that the, the emails are going to be relevant based off their interests. Now, there are some very prestigious clubs that I work with who do a really good job of targeting their members and their members know that. And so they, they're given a little bit more grace as far as, you know, they can send one out even possibly one a day, and the member's going to know that it's relevant to what they're interested in. Now, if a club hasn't taken that step, I do think three is probably the maximum that should be done uh, during a week, and hopefully it it is on a cadence, uh, like I said, where maybe the golf shop sends out one, one comes from the general manager, and one's about events, something around that nature. I think clubs just need to know what's coming up, they just need to know, especially if golf is the main driver, they need to know about that, you know, and then maybe one catch-all email past that point. There you go. Yeah, if I'm a tennis member, for instance, I don't really care what the speed of the greens are for the week. <laughs> Those mm-hmm. the, um, although I am a golfer, and so I, I do sort of care. I'd like to probably find out maybe once every month though, rather than every week is what I'm getting right now. Now, um, people know that you're the, the marketing expert. I mean, what do, what would you have to say to that? What would be your answer? I honestly feel like one per week would be my ideal personally, but that's more subjective for me personally. So, um, but I do think, you know, the people that you're dealing with when you're talking about a private club, for me, you're talking about people who are high net worth individuals, more likely than not business owners or executives, at least executive levels. And those kinds of people are getting a hundred emails a day is not, is not uncommon. So I think, the less is more. And I do agree with you in terms of relevancy. Um, if they, if they are more relevant to me, I probably, you know, look at more of them. But when I get these really broad ones from my club, I think that's just a little bit too much. Yeah. And I think this would be a good point. I think uh, listeners may like to hear this. So the national average, you know, working with within club essential, we get to see a lot of the mail reporting. I would say that 50 to 51% is actually a pretty good read rate. Uh, total for a club. Well, I had a a client within the CRM where we went through and we sent out a a small questionnaire to the the members asking them, here's 10 interests at the club. Please check on each one of those that you would want to be uh, communicated on. And and this club happened to have skeet shooting. And so the first time uh, they sent out that that blast, they had 423 members. And I think the first email that went out, they had an 83% open rate. Uh, because we mentioned this is going to help you with your your club communications. And so 83% opened the first time and clicked on the link and filled out the link. Wow. Ask. Yeah. Uh, this, so we then did a resend. And from that, another 81% of that resend opened it up. So they ended up having almost a 96% open and conversion rate on that email to say, here is what I want to be communicated on. The next point from that is the first email that we sent out, it was about the skeet shooting, and that email got an 83% open rate. And I think from there, that was eye-opening to the client rate at that point. We've never seen anything yeah. uh, in the 80s from that point. <laughs> and uh, so I've used that a lot with our CRM clients, and it's been really eye-opening in the fact that when when a member does say, I want to be notified about this, they are going to open it and they're going to read it. And so if we do take the time to ask our members what they want and we have something that can collect that data, that is going to go for a better member experience. And if we can tackle the club communication problem at a club, that's going to that's gonna go a long way for our members. And to give listeners some perspective, the national averages, 
don't quote me on this, but they're approximately between maybe 14% and 25% open rates, depending on your industry. So something like 80, 90%, like Rick is talking about is pretty exceptional. Yeah, uh, I think, I think overall in business, yeah, it's that low, but at a glob, you know, you have a captive audience. Sure. I think you're in it usually in the 40 to 50 range, but yeah. to get in the eighties is unheard of. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Well, let's go beyond email then Rick, in terms of communication, what other methods are you seeing that are really yeah. working, trying to get members apart from email? Because I think email is almost to the point where again, people are being overwhelmed. What else is out there that, that yeah. will actually get someone's attention? Well, I, I think it's going to be the the push notifications or the tech messaging. I mean, we all love our phones, and you can see every everywhere that everything's going to to phones. And so, again, uh, unfortunately, my CRM product got taken over as far as uh, number one product within Club Essential by the app, and, and the the app allows. How dare they! I know exactly. I ha- I had my run for a year, so I'm I'm happy with that. But with the app, you know that it that can bring in beacon technology, which allows some a club to know really where their members are at uh, just off of Bluetooth and and using these beacon tools. Well, from that we can then send push notifications really out about anything. And so on the golf course, instead of the golf pro running around everywhere to try to find where the bottlenecks are, I mean, they can use the beacons to find out that this, this is the, this foursome is the true culprit and they're 14 minutes behind. And instead of going in the cart out to them, they could send a, a push notification to the, the members in that foursome on their phone. And it's just going to tell those guys, hey, you know, let's pick up the pace there. You know, everything has to do with the smartphones these days. So the push notification, I think, is the future of of the communications there. And again, we still, if we, we overblast that, you know, it's going to be the same thing. Members sure. are going to get going to get upset about that. But that's the new wave out there again. And it's going to help the efficiency of, of clubs when people not having to get in a golf cart and ride around and right. all of that. You can have a, a basically a real-time picture of where your members are at the club, you know, our guests here and things like that. So that's pretty exciting as well. So I, I understand why that's become so popular within the company. So you can get super, super detailed in terms of the information that you're gathering on members and guests and things. And I think at some point it's almost overwhelming to folks because they sure. have to decide like what it, what is actually relevant and I can't do it all. So for you, Rick, what are just a couple pieces of, of information that every club should be gathering that's most relevant and most useful? And how do they really put that to work, Rick? Well, again, I think it is the interest there. That would be overall the number one thing. And it's not just for the primary member. You got to ask the spouse and you even got to ask for the the children that are going to be at the club, you know, because again, we all know that golf is, is you know, at most uh, staying steady now at this point, but there's so many other things at the club. Most, most people in surveys will tell you that they stay at a club because of the dining and the social events. So, I mean, again, we want to know what kind of events, uh, you know, attract you the most? Do you like the fine dining? Do you like the the more kids and casual events, things like that? So I, I think that's the number one step that a club should take is finding out preferences on all sorts of things. And that can be from allergies, you know, food allergies as well. So, I mean, we're painting the whole picture of the club from food preferences to drink preferences to what do they like at the pool? What do they like at the golf course? What do they like at the tennis? And this all shouldn't be a barrage of all happening at one time. Again, it should be a plan set up by the the management and that should be communicated to the members and saying, we're going to take this step 
you know, and we need the help of you to, to let us know. But if you just let us know some of this information, it's going to help us on communications. It's going to help our server staff when they come up to you. It's going to be a better member experience in the in the pro shop. So that's that's what I see the the high level clubs that thankfully we get to work with at Club Essential is they're really sitting down and, and telling their members, we're going to do a better job of learning about you. And we're not just going to learn. We're going to then take that and turn that into action to give you a better member experience. That's awesome to see. I, that was my big takeaway of the year is that clubs are finally making that route there. 2016 has been a pretty interesting year, I think, in the golf industry and in the private club industry. What are you looking at moving forward here into 2017? That's a good question. I, I thankfully we we saw some indicators that I believe that golf is starting to come come back again. So I, I just I'm hopeful in in that aspect because I do love golf so much uh, that we're going to see some better better work done there in the, in the golf uh, industry. And so again, that's that's going to be all around uh, you know pace of play. Uh, the the events that are being done at the club that are more more entertaining they're you know they're easier to play there's going to be more participation by women and children inside of it so I, I think there's going to be a little resurgence in, in golf back in the country and hopefully the the weather uh, cooperates around the country there um, but beyond that again I just think it's more of clubs coming back to the realization that they just can't show up and expect that that's going to be enough for the members. I think it's, there's going to be more investment in, in education and thankfully with, with private club radio, private club agency, those kind of things you're helping uh, with that as well, Gabe. But I think that's an exciting piece because uh, you know, this industry needs to, to move forward. Uh, the people at the clubs want to use the technology and, and everything. So I just, I just think it's just going to be a year where uh, we're going to sort of embrace new items. And I think that's something that the industry has needed for a long time. Nice, nice. What are some examples of clubs out there that are really doing it right? I'm sure you've, uh, working with clubs all across the country, you've seen some really standout ones out there. What are they for you, Rick? Uh, well, I had the chance to, to make a trip out to Palm Springs uh, recently, which is always fun fun to do. And we have some really nice clients there. And, uh, you know, I've been in the industry a long time and gotten to, to do some nice things. But when I got the chance to go to a, a couple clubs of ours, the Vintage Club uh, and then the Madison Club in, in Palm Springs, it was really eye-opening to me. A, I mean, you're just talking about a, a spectacular property on, on both of those very high level. But again, it's it's not just about the members being there and who's going to be coming next. It's about providing an excellent service from communications to when you walk in the front door, you know, that anything that the the family wants to do is going to be executed at a very high level. And it was really the first time I got to see it in person, especially at the vintage club, seeing the whole property. I mean, everywhere you look, there's there's very attentive management around, um, you know, to, to check with everything that they need to see uh, with their members and everything. So that was pretty eye opening to me uh, to see that kind of level. Have you have you been to clubs like either of those where you just walk in and you just it's something that maybe you never even realize how how uh, powerful a club can be? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I think probably in Florida where you're at. I mean, that there's a lot of those in that that area as well. Ocean Reef and mm-hmm. Boca. Yep. 
I was at St. Andrews this year, which is a great club. They, they just, uh, just top notch stuff. Uh, Ritz Carlton club over in Sarasota. That was a really nice one as well. And, uh, yeah, it's just fun to walk into some of these properties and everything, every, every club out there has something really unique and special that makes it their own. And I think that's something I appreciate is when, you know, clubs really own their distinctiveness, whether that's, mm-hmm. uh, the history of the club, the members that are there. I was down at the Naples yacht club and, um, uh, they had the, uh, the governor of the state as a member there. And they're really proud of that and things like, you know, when you can really em- embrace that stuff, the, those those things are, are priceless. I love that kind well, of I mean, stuff. Yeah, that's your bread and butter with marketing is the branding. And I've always been fascinated with, with branding. And the first club I worked at here in Chicago, Hawthorne Woods, I mean, even had a tagline to it. It was more for today's active families. And, you know, when you really do something well, what I got the what it helped me with is the the prospects that were coming to me had actually been you know, talking to members in the in the local community. And so the word of mouth just spread saying, okay, if you have young families, you should be at Hawthorne Woods. I mean, they're right. saying those kind of blanket statements when they may not know exactly what that family's looking for. And and so the power of that is amazing. And yes, I mean, whatever that brand is, stick to it, you know, be be aggressive with it, be consistent with it. And that's going to help you in the in the long run. If people want to see you this year, what kind of conferences will you be attending? I know you're a man about town, if you will. So uh, if someone wanted to come up to you, pick your brain, where are you going to be at this year, Rick? Generally for me, it's usually just two two stops. Uh, the CMA show, uh, which uh, uh, where is that this year, Gabe? Is that uh, back in New Orleans? It's an hour drive for me in Orlando, Florida. Okay. All right. Well, that, that's a, that's a good spot for it as well. So that's, that's a, usually a big one for our company. You know, a lot of the general managers and such come out for that. So, uh, we'll have a presence at that. And then I'm always at, uh, the PCMA, the professional club marketing association, which is coming back to Nashville, one of our favorite stops in, in September. So that's where I'll be the company, you know, club essential usually has a presence at most, uh, most all of the, um, shows out there, the PGA high tech, all of those kind of things, but you'll see me at CMA most likely, and certainly at PCMA. It's always fun, you know. At that point, you get to to see some people in person that you usually may just always have a, a web conference with. So I always love being out in, in person, and I know you do as well because I see you at all of those. Yeah, I'm excited for the CMA, especially of course being right here in basically my backyard. And uh, I do want to invite listeners and you, Mr. Rick Coffee to join us for i'm going to put together a little cocktail reception just for listeners and guests and it's probably going to be off-site um because i'd like i always mm-hmm. like to take people to some unique places to see something different and uh, if you're interested i'd love to have you there rick now this is pretty cool you know i'm part of the the facebook uh you know community that you have there with private club radio i think that's very exciting you know, you're coming up. We well, by the time this airs, you'll have your 50th episode in there. So you've you've done a really good job in creating a you know a whole brand to yourself with this, and I'm I'm excited to be part of it. Yeah, thanks, Rick. And and if you do want to attend that event, join that Facebook group. Just search for Private Club Radio on Facebook, and you could be a part of it. I will give you an invitation. It's only for the Private Club Radio listeners forum. Cool. So hope you can make it there, Rick. And uh, sure. I'll be giving some more details about that as we approach February, which is not really too far from now, yeah. actually. So I better get yeah. on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we wrap things up, how do folks find out about you, Rick? Learn more. Get in touch with you. 
Yeah, thanks, Gabe. Uh, Clubessential.com. Many, many of our listeners are very aware of that. You can certainly go through there. Uh, There's contact us forms on that site. And then my email address is very easy. It's rcoffee, C-O-F-F-E-Y, at clubessential.com. Rick, thanks so much for being on the show. As always, great insights. And uh, always love to hear what's going on in the state of marketing and CRM technology. As always, thank you for the opportunity. And now, it's time for Club Perspectives, presented by the National Club Association. Welcome to another edition of Club Perspectives presented by the National Club Association. I'm joined once again by Brad Steele, Vice President of Government Relations and General Counsel for the National Club Association. Brad, how are you today? Doing well, Gabe. It's a pleasure to be back on the show. Well, I want to talk to you today about the overtime ruling. We got some news that came in. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. Well, we uh, we can say it's it's good news to say the least. Uh, I know that many of your listeners across the private club world uh, have been waiting with bated breath to see what would happen on uh, December first when the overtime rule was scheduled to go into effect. But prior to that, about a week before uh, uh, the December one start date, we received news from a Texas federal court that the rule was stopped, stayed. In other words, that while the case that the National Club Association and our allies. Uh, on the Partnership to Protect Workplace Opportunity had initiated, along with, I might add, 21 state attorneys general who said this rule isn't right. So those two cases were pending, but, but one of the ways in which we could get some immediate relief was ask the court before it finally ruled on the case to, hey, put a stop on the uh, implementation of the new overtime rule. Let's hold off on making the changes until you, judge, actually decide on the merits of the case. Mm-hmm. Now, as we all know, anybody who deals with the, with the law knows that uh, judges will take a heck of a lot of, a lot of time uh, setting up, preparing for, and then handling a trial. And what we wanted to do was have that uh, rule stopped, uh, put in abeyance, held in abeyance, until the actual case went to trial. And that's the good news that we received. The court said, yeah, why don't we hold off on the implementation of the rule during the pendency of this particular case. So the attorneys generals, uh, the business community that NCA is a part of, uh, both of those cases were joined into one, and the judge said, yep, we're going to wait. We're going to wait on implementation of this rule until we finally get to the merits. The merits of the case probably won't be reached. There won't be an actual trial for, I would imagine, another four or five months if everything stays as it is, and we just don't expect everything to stay as it is because we've got a new president coming in. Big shakeup. Great news. Yep. Yeah. Big big news for us. Big news for our industry that the court stepped in and said, "Nope, the rule is not going to be uh, going to be enforced. It will be stayed uh, until the case is finally resolved." So that's good stuff. That's that's very good stuff. So what do you think that means? What's going to happen maybe in five to six months down the road here, Brad? Well, what's interesting is number one, uh, certainly with this particular decision by the court to stay the ruling, or uh, yeah, to stop the the rule. The Department of Labor has taken upon itself to go forward and file an appeal, which we assumed they would have the right to do. We didn't expect necessarily that they were going to do it, considering that the Department of Labor, the Secretary of the Department of Labor, the lawyers who are working for the Department of Labor, all those folks will more than likely change, well, will change from the Secretary's position. So uh, there will be new guidance and new perspectives on how the Department of Labor wishes to pursue this case. But since that hasn't happened yet and won't happen until January 20th, 
Uh, the Department of Labor didn't decide to appeal it. They actually asked the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is that intermediary court before the United States Supreme Court, to provide them an expedited hearing so they can get through this quickly. And indeed, today we found out that the court had indeed granted that uh, expedited hearing request, but it's not really that expedited. What that means is certainly they will have a quicker opportunity to bring this appeal to the circuit court. However, uh, the dates that have already been presented for briefs to be issued to the court by both the Department of Labor and our side, uh, due dates are January 31st, of 2017. Wow. Yeah. So we know that obviously January 20th, things are going to change uh, in the administration. We know then also that Secretary of Labor designee Andrew Puzder will certainly have an opportunity to uh, indicate to his lawyers at the Department of Labor that there will be a uh, less than a desirous you know, push to see this appeal go forward. Mm-hmm. Obviously, what that means is we'll have two folks, <laughs> those who sued and won and got the stay, mm-hmm. and the Department of Labor against whom we sued, uh, both advocating for the same thing, stopping the rule. Well, that, it doesn't <laughs> that happen doesn't very make, often, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't happen very often, and certainly doesn't allow the uh, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals to, uh, to be interested in pursuing it. So I think we've got an opportunity from this particular appeal to really see it, it go off and, uh, and not be pursued any further, which is good. Even if uh, the case is heard by the court, we really don't anticipate that there will be a ruling that will be adverse to us. In other words, the stay will remain in effect. At that point, then, the question will simply be whether the Department of Labor has a desire, again, under the new Trump administration, to actually uh, go forward with the trial, the actual lawsuit that's in in uh, in place. Mm-hmm. Obviously, again, our coalition and the state's attorneys generals have sued to say, we don't like the rule. Now it's a whole other Department of Labor on the other side of that lawsuit that also believes that it's not a good rule. Right. As such, the actual trial may not even need to be had. Uh, and that will be, I think, the next step, the next determination that will come is that those folks uh, in the Department of Labor will say we're just not going to we're not going to defend this we agree with the other side that this particular rule is bad and we're not going to defend it as such there'll be a de facto victory in the actual trial again all that's what we anticipate once the new administration uh, takes uh, power and indeed with this new expedited hearing in the 5th Circuit Court of Appeals with a, a briefing date of January 31st we don't say anything that's going to change that so that's that's good for us and good for the private club industry, meaning the rule is indeed pretty much dead, uh, and that's a, that's a real positive. What happens once the administration takes hold and and reevaluates and reviews this particular rule? Well, that's another question because obviously we'll then have an opportunity for uh, President Trump and his Secretary of Labor to say, all right, there may need to be a change to the minimum weekly salary, and as all of your listeners know. The Obama administration changed that minimum weekly salary to $913 per week, up from 455 and over 100% increase. Well, that's where the problem arose. We had a real concern with regard to that. Clubs had a real concern with regard to that jump. It was far, far too much too fast. Right. But we all agree in the golf industry that indeed there needs to be some change to the minimum weekly salary. For someone to be exempt from overtime, not be able to earn overtime, he probably needs to make more than $455 a week or $23,660 a 
per year. Yeah, there's a happy so medium there between between this new, <laughs> what was it, 47,000 or something? What was that? 47,476, exactly. Yeah. That was the yearly threshold based on the 913 per week versus right. that 23,660 or 455 right. per week. So we certainly agree that there needs to be some potential change to that 455 number, but it, it can't be 100% high higher uh, than, it, uh, than it was proposed by uh, the Obama administration. So in the next Six months, more than that, more than likely, we'll be discussing with uh, the new Secretary of Labor uh, and his team uh, about what that particular change should look like. What numbers should be there? What should be the phase in? Uh, how long will it take for clubs to and businesses across the United States to be able to sort of understand this, budget for it, prepare their staff, and then move forward? Because those are the things that the Obama administration didn't provide for us in its desire to, to make that drastic change so immediately. Wow. Well, that sounds like a fantastic victory for you, the National Club Association, your partners there, the consortium. What other issues, Brad, are you looking forward to here in 2017? Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that uh, that I think has been probably the most important for us is not only understanding that uh, things like these regulatory issues from the, the, the Department of Labor, like the overtime rule, will now be able to be brought, I think, into a broader perspective, a better perspective. For private clubs, we can fine tune it. We can understand again the importance of making appropriate changes, but then also the appropriate understanding that this has an impact on business. If it has an impact on business, that you know absolutely has an effect on your employees. So if you're creating regulations that are meant to help employees, but fail to understand that the impact on the employer will detrimentally affect the employees, then you're you're working at cross purposes, and that's. That's what's great and refreshing about this new administration is that they understand, well, actually, we do have to worry about businesses because the businesses are the ones who are reaping the profits that then can go to the employees. And certainly in our industry, we know we can't be successful if we don't have the best and the brightest working for private clubs, plain and simple. Mm -hmm. And we, as an industry, consistently take care of those employees. We ensure they get the best pay, the best benefits, and we provide them the kinds of things that make them want to stay in our industry, in our sector of the economy. So when we got rid of the the overtime rule, that's a step. The next thing that we're looking forward to doing is getting rid of, uh, and and we, we again got some great news, uh, getting rid of some of the Department of Labor's uh, rules that help union organizing. And one of those was the persuader rule. That rule actually was just at the same time that we got the stay in the Department of Labor's overtime rule, we also received a stay on the persuader rule. The persuader rule simply said that, well, we're going to require a significant amount of disclosure and forms to be written and submitted to the Department of Labor anytime the club were to hire an attorney to help it during a union organizing campaign. Now, what's interesting about this is that it, it actually had been a precedent for over 50 years. Then any discussions by an employer, a club general manager, and an attorney who's a helping with regard to a union organizing campaign, that those discussions, that information, even that, that contractual agreement between the two for services was never to be disclosed. And the Department of Labor had uh, disclosure requirements, but never touched that relationship between the lawyer and the general manager. And that changed with the persuader rule. That actually, again, shifted that 50-year precedent uh, and really caused significant concerns, not only for the club industry, for us, 
but even yeah. from the American Bar Association that said, wait a minute, isn't that, isn't that stepping on client confidentiality? You mm-hmm. can't do it. Right. So that became a, a very, very big concern because what that meant is many law firms would look at their bottom line, determine how much money they're really generating with regard to assisting businesses during union organizing campaigns. And if it wasn't enough to justify all the extra time and effort and the disclosure requirements, then they were going to back away from providing that assistance. And that assistance is exceptionally important, especially when we have the National Labor Relations Board providing an opportunity for union organizing to be done literally within 10 days. Hmm. So if you've got a limited amount of time before an election, you really want to talk to a lawyer to figure out, well, the election for a union is coming up. <laughs> I need some help. Yeah. And if the, if the lawyer is going to say, well, I'd love to help you, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I'm going to have to do, like disclosing what we've charged. Now, Gabe, I don't know about you, but believe me, not too many lawyers want to disclose what they charge, uh, uh, and they uh. certainly don't. They don't want to disclose for for whom they're working uh, and and what work they're doing for their clients. Right. So now it becomes I got ten days to to have an election, and gee, I'm a general manager. I I don't know what I can say, what I can't say. I don't want to violate the National Labor Relations Act. So I, I got to talk to the lawyers, and now we've got lawyers who are becoming less and less interested in doing this work. Really put a problem, uh, made a major problem for businesses and clubs when they tried to at least communicate the truth to their employees. This is what we can say. This is what we can say. We want you as employees to understand what the union is suggesting. And if you don't say that correctly, you can violate a heck of a lot of rules. Wow. So. You needed those lawyers. Mm-hmm. And the great news is when the Obama administration presented this rule, we knew this is, this is a bridge too far. And uh, we received uh, a positive ruling from the court uh, in November and actually just received notice, it was on Monday, that the, uh, the rule has been permanently uh, stricken uh, because it went way too far. Yeah. So while we, we see that there are issues across the board over time, you know, union organizing activities, we see that there are a lot of things that from the National Club Association's perspective, we've been speaking to and, and educating the administration on, but they weren't listening. And then we were speaking to members of Congress and educating them and, and really hoping that they would be able to help and making changes. And while we had legislation that was produced in both the House and the United States Senate to, for instance, stop the overtime rule or stop the persuader rule or roll back some of the regulations that were issued by the National Labor Relations Board, we knew that we always had a president who was probably going to be less than sympathetic to that legislation. So we had to, we, we tried to deal with the executive branch with the president. We, we certainly work with our allies in the legislative branch, but we always had to go to the judicial branch, to be honest with you, to, to finally stop uh, some of the rules that, as I say, just went a bit too far over time, too far, too fast. Persuade a rule, breaking a 50-year precedent mm-hmm. on communication between lawyers and employers. That's just silly stuff. Right. But uh, when you have to go to the, the judicial branch, that's it's really not the way you, know, you, you run a railroad, right? That's yeah. the third branch of government, most important in some respects branch of government. But you really don't want to always just have to say, well, fine, if we're not going to hear from the White House or the executive branch or the legislative branch, we'd love to help, but but we'll never get it signed by the president. That's just not how government is to work. And it's been frustrating for us I can imagine. for the last eight years Yeah, because we, we want that open dialogue. We want to at least have communication. Look, we're not going to win them all, but we wanted that kind of open dialogue. And I think what we can really take away from this election is that there'll be a great opportunity for a broader or open dialogue with this administration dealing with club issues. And that has a lot to do with the fact that this president you know, builds 
runs, created, and loves uh, golf and high-end golf clubs. So that's that's what we're really excited about as we look forward in the next few months and years ahead. Well, I, for one, am glad we have an advocate like you, Brad, and the National Club Association in Washington for this industry. Thank you so much for once again joining me here, Brad, and hope to see you back here next month on the Club Perspectives presented by the National Club Association. I'd love to. Thank you so much, Gabe. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed that action-packed episode here on Private Club Radio, the last episode that we're going to do in 2016. It's been a great year. I've enjoyed doing this podcast immensely, and I really want to thank you for listening to it all year long. We're going to be back next year with a best of. We're going to get a best of the 2016 year, and that will be followed by Jeff Morgan, CEO of the CMAA, presenting the CMAA's data and report and study that they did on millennials. I'm really looking forward to that one. Thank you once again for joining me. And until next week, here's to your membership success. Private Club Radio is brought to you by the Private Club Agency, the premier marketing and consulting firm dedicated to helping clubs increase and retain their membership. Visit privateclubagency.com to learn more.